Ryan stopped dead and thought back to the city map he'd inspected before leaving the hotel. One thing Jack could not do was remember street names, but he had a photographic memory for maps. He walked to the end of the block, turned left, proceeded two blocks, then right, and sure enough, there was St. James Park. Ryan checked his watch. He was fifteen minutes early. It was downhill past a monument to a Duke of York, and he crossed the street near a longish classical building of white marble. There were not many people around. So much the better, he thought. He'd deliberately come over after the tourist season. Ryan did not like crowds. The Marine Corps had taught him that. Daddy! Ryan's head snapped around to see his little daughter running towards him from behind the tree, heedless as usual of her safety. Sally arrived with her customary thump against her tall father. Also as usual, Kathy Ryan trailed behind, never quite able to keep up with their little white tornado. Jack's wife did look like a tourist. Her Canon 35mm camera was draped over one shoulder along with a camera case that doubled as an oversized purse when they were on vacation. How'd it go, Jack? Ryan kissed his wife. Maybe the Brits don't do that in public either, he thought. Great, babe. They treated me like I own the place. Got all my notes tucked away. He tapped his clipboard. Did you get anything? She smiled in a way that told him she had parted with a fairish bit of the money they had allocated for shopping. The shops here deliver, and we got something really nice for Sally. Oh, Jack bent over to look his daughter in the eye. And what might that be? It's a surprise, Daddy. Daddy, they got a lake with swans and pelicans. Pelicans, Sally. Sally loved pelicans. Big white ones. Uh-huh. Ryan looked up to his wife. Get any good pictures? Oh, sure. London is already canonized. Oh, would you prefer we spent the whole day shopping? Photography was Kathy Ryan's only hobby, and she was good at it. Ryan looked down the street. The pavement was reddish, not black, and the road was lined with what looked like beech trees. The mall, wasn't it? He couldn't remember, and wouldn't ask his wife, who'd been in London many times. Buckingham Palace was larger than he'd expected, but it seemed a dour building, three hundred yards away, hidden behind a marble monument of some sort. Traffic was a little thicker here, but moved briskly. Jack looked back to his wife. What do we do for dinner? Catch a cab back to the hotel, or we can walk. They're supposed to have a good dining room. She looked at her watch. Still early, though. These civilized places make you wait until eight or nine. He saw another Rolls go by in the direction of the palace. He was looking forward to dinner, though not really to having Sally there. Four-year-olds and four-star restaurants don't go well together, he reflected. He wondered if the hotel had a babysitting service. Grenade, something in his mind reported. He sensed the whispering sound of fragments in the air, and a moment later heard the clatter of automatic weapons fire. He spun around to see the rolls turn crooked in the street. The front end seemed lower than it should be, and its path was blocked by a black sedan. There was a man standing at the front fender, firing an AK-47 into the front end, and another man was racing around to the car's left rear. Get down! Ryan grabbed his daughter's shoulder and forced her to the ground behind a tree, yanking his wife roughly down beside her. A dozen cars were stopped raggedly behind the rolls, none closer than fifty feet, and these shielded his family from the line of fire. Traffic on the far side was blocked by the sedan. The man with the Kalashnikov was spraying the rolls for all he was worth. Son of a bitch! Ryan kept his head up, scarcely able to believe what he saw. It's the goddamn IRA. They're killing somebody right here. He moved slightly to his left. His peripheral vision took in faces of people up and down the street, turning and staring. This is really happening, he thought, right in front of me, just like that. Just like some Chicago gangster movie. Two bastards are committing murder, just like that. 
Son of a bitch. Ryan moved further left, screened by a stopped car. He could see one man standing at the left rear of the rolls, just standing there, his pistol hand extended as though expecting someone to bolt from the passenger door. The bulk of the rolls screened Ryan from the AK gunner, who was crouched down to control his weapon. The near gunman had his back to Ryan. He was no more than fifty feet away. Ryan would never remember making any conscious decision. He moved swiftly around the stopped car, head down, keeping low and accelerating rapidly, his eyes locked on his target, the small of the man's back, just as he'd been taught in high school football. It took only a few seconds to cover the distance, with Ryan's mind racing out, willing the man to stay still just a moment longer. At five feet, Ryan lowered his shoulder and dove off both legs. His coach would have been proud. The blindside tackle caught the gunman perfectly. His back bent like a bow and Ryan heard bones snap as his victim pitched forward and down. A satisfying clunk told him the man's head had bounced off the bumper on the way to the pavement. Ryan got up instantly, winded but full of adrenaline. The man's pistol had dropped from his hand and lay beside the body. Ryan grabbed it. It looked like a 9 millimeter Makarov, or some East German block military issue. The hammer was back and the safety off. He fitted the man's gun carefully into his right hand. His left hand didn't seem to be working right, but he ignored that. Ryan looked down at the man he'd just tackled and shot him twice in the hip. Then he brought the gun up to eye level and moved to the right rear corner of the rolls. He crouched lower still and peeked around the edge of the bodywork. The other gunman's AK was lying on the street, and he was firing into the car with his pistol, something else in his other hand. Ryan took a deep breath and stepped from behind the rolls, leveling his automatic at the man's chest. The other gunman turned his head first, then swiveled off balance to bring his own gun around. Both men fired at the same instant. Ryan felt a fiery thump in his left shoulder and saw his own round take the man in the chest. The nine-millimeter slug knocked the man backwards as though from a hard punch. Ryan brought his own pistol back from recoil and squeezed off another round. The second bullet caught the man under the chin and exploded out of the back of his head in a wet pink cloud. Like a puppet with severed strings, the gunman fell to the pavement without a twitch. Ryan kept his pistol centered on the man's chest. Oh, God! The surge of adrenaline left him as quickly as it had come. Time slowed back to normal, and Ryan found himself dizzy and breathless. His mouth was open and gasping for air. Whatever force had been holding him erect seemed to disappear, leaving his frame weak on the verge of collapse. The black sedan backed up a few yards and accelerated past him, racing down the street. Ryan didn't think to take the number. He was stunned by the flashing sequence of events. The man he'd shot twice was clearly dead. Ryan was chilled to see a grenade in his gloved left hand. He turned unsteadily towards the rolls. The first grenade had torn the front end to shreds, and the tires were flat on the blacktop. The windshield had been blasted to fragments. The driver was dead, his face gone, a red, spongy mass. Another body was slumped over in the front seat. There was a red smear on the glass partition separating the driver's seat from the passenger compartment. Jack moved around the car and looked in the back. He saw a young man lying prone on the floor, and under him, the corner of a woman's dress. He tapped the pistol butt against the glass. The man stirred for a moment, then froze. At least he was alive. Ryan looked at his pistol. It was empty. The slide locked back on a dry clip. His breath was coming in shutters now. His legs were wobbling under him, and his hands were beginning to shake convulsively. Brief, sharp waves of intense pain rippled in his wounded shoulder. A soldier was running towards him with a police officer a few yards behind. One of the palace guards, Jack thought. The man had lost his bearskin shako, but still had an automatic rifle with a half foot of steel bayonet perched on the muzzle. Ryan quickly wondered if the rifle might be loaded. 
This is a guardsman, he told himself, a professional soldier from a crack regiment, maybe as good as a sea marine. How did he get here so fast? Slowly and carefully, Ryan held the pistol at arm's length. He thumbed the clip-release button, and the magazine clattered to the street. Next, he twisted the gun so that the soldier could see it was empty. Then he set it down on the pavement and stepped away from it. He tried to raise both hands, but the left one wouldn't move. The guardsman all the time ran smart, head up, eyes tracing left and right, but never leaving Ryan entirely. He stopped ten feet away with his rifle at low guard, its bayonet pointed right at Jack's throat, just like it said in the manual. At ease, trooper. I'm one of the good guys. The guardsman's face didn't change a whit. The boy was a pro, all right. He could hear sirens somewhere and men running in from the other direction. He turned to look, but there was the pain again. The last thing he heard before passing out was his wife's voice. Soldier, I'm a doctor, and I'm going to treat that wound, so you can put that gun down right now. So we're awake. How are we feeling? The doctor was in his fifties, tall and spare, and dressed in surgical greens. There was a stethoscope hanging around his neck, and he seemed to be carrying something that Ryan couldn't quite see. He seemed rather tired, but wore a satisfied smile. Ryan tried to speak, but his mouth seemed glued shut. The doctor smiled and nodded to a nurse, then continued to speak. The nurse came forward to give Ryan a sip of water through a glass straw. You are in the recovery unit of St. Thomas Hospital. You are recovering from surgery on your upper left arm and shoulder. My name is Charles Scott, and I am your surgeon. My team and I have been working on you for, oh, about six hours now, and it would appear that you will probably live. Rather slowly and sluggishly, Ryan thought to himself that the English sense of humor was a little too dry for this type of situation. He had seen Kathy earlier, he remembered, when he woke up just before the operation. She had whispered something reassuring about the doctor. Sir Charles Scott was not just a surgeon. He was one of the best orthopods in the world. Jack listened patiently. Your collarbone was broken. We reckon that happened first, before you were shot. Routine fracture. Then a bullet entered the front of your shoulder, just missing the brachial plexus, so we expect no severe nerve damage, smashing into the top of your humerus before lodging just under the skin. Bloody powerful thing, that nine millimeter. You were quite lucky, Dr. Ryan. Ryan blinked. He was docked to the midshipman around Annapolis, but where the medical establishment was involved, Dr. Ryan usually meant Kathy. Doctor, you mean my wife, don't you? Sir Charles smiled again. Your wife is a charming and accomplished woman, doctor, but I could never mistake you for her. You are a professor of history at your naval academy, I believe she told me. Fascinating. Now you really must get some rest. There are some people who want to talk with you very badly, and I can't keep them away forever. Ryan awoke at 6.35 a.m. He knew that because it was announced by a disc jockey whose voice faded to an American country and western song of the type Ryan avoided at home by listening to all news radio stations. Yesterday, he thought, I saw something straight out of a news bulletin. The radio was somewhere off to his right, beyond his shoulder. Shoulder. That's why I'm here. He turned his head slowly to the left. He saw his arm first of all. It was sticking up in a plaster and fiberglass cast that went all the way to his hand. His fingers stuck out like an afterthought. He tried to wiggle them. It took several seconds before they responded, but when they did, he let out a long breath and closed his eyes to thank God for that. His mouth tasted like a urinal, and the rest of his body was stiff and sore. He turned his head the other way. Somebody over there? A face appeared out of the darkness beyond the bed.
Hello, Dr. Ryan. A man stepped forward into the pool of light. He was young, middle twenties or so, and lean. He was dressed casually, his tie loose in his collar, and the edge of a shoulder holster showed under his jacket. Anthony Wilson, sir. I'm supposed to look after you. How are you feeling, sir? Ryan attempted a smile. About how I look, probably. Is there a glass of water in this place? I'll ring the sister. Here. Wilson squeezed the button that was pinned to the edge of Ryan's pillow. Less than fifteen seconds later, a nurse came through the door and flipped on the overhead lights. Ah, we're awake. How are we feeling? The sister, her tag said Kitty Wake, was young and pretty, with the eager, protective look common to nurses. Ryan had seen it before, and hated it. She stuck a thermometer in his mouth before he could answer, and grabbed his wrist to take his pulse. The thermometer was one of the new electronic sort, and both tasks were completed in moments. Little Miss Efficiency, Ryan told himself. This girl is going to be a real pain in the ass. Is there anything I might get you, Dr. Ryan? Her brown eyes belied the wheat-colored hair. She was cute. She had that dewy look. Ryan was unable to remain angry with pretty women and hated them for it, especially nurses that had that dewy look. Coffee? Kittywick made a minor adjustment in the covers, beaming at Ryan. Breakfast is not for another hour. Can I fetch a cup of tea? Fine. It wasn't, but it would get rid of her for a little while. Nurse Kittywick breezed out the door with her ingenuous smile. Hospitals. Ryan grunted and leaned back into the pillow. It was useless to fight it, he knew. He'd been through this twice before, both times with young, pretty nurses. Being grumpy only made them all the more eager to be overpoweringly nice. They had time on their side. Time and patience enough to wear anyone down. He sighed out his surrender. So, Wilson, you're a cop, right? Special branch? No, sir. I'm with C-13, anti-terrorist branch. Can you fill me in on what happened yesterday? I kind of missed a few things. Wilson slid his chair closer. Ryan noted he remained halfway facing the door and kept his right hand free. How much do you remember, Doctor? I saw, well, I heard an explosion, a hand grenade, I think, and when I turned I saw two guys shooting hell out of a Rolls Royce. IRA, I guess. I took two of them out, and another one got away in a car. Wilson smiled coldly. Not IRA, ULA. Ulster Liberation Army, the Maoist offshoot of the Purvos, nasty buggers. The one you killed was John Michael McClory. Very bad boy from Londonderry. One of the chaps who escaped from the maze last July. This is the first time he's surfaced since. We haven't identified the other chap yet. That is, not as of when I came on duty three hours ago.